Hey, thanks for listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We appreciate the support as always. In case you missed it, we have a newsletter coming out this August. And it's written by our resident funny man, so you know it's going to be fun and engaging. Justin, tell us more about it. Thanks, Nee. In this letter, I tell you everything you need to know about last week's episode in the rundown section, included with links from Tuesday and Friday's episode, another section of what to come, and my favorite part is the media fun stuff. In that, I tell you which movies you could watch on various streaming platforms if you liked what we had to talk about. Listen, fans, because no sport is left behind, it's important to know what's been happening with the Pro Sports Podcasters. By signing up for the weekly newsletter, we will have you front row center for every interview and analytic discussion. So do yourself a favor and sign up. The link is in the show notes. Be part of the conversation and enjoy some of the fun. Once again, we thank you for listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. Welcome all sports fans. On this podcast, no sport is left behind. I'm Justin Williams. I'm Corbett Ron, and this is our brother from Down Under, Nee Wallace-Bruce. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, filling you in on the latest news from the world of sports. Welcome to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, Nee. NWB, and I'm joined as always by Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Doing great, doing great, buddy. Fantastic. And joining us today, we have a special guest. We went straight to the top, actually. It's the CEO of Weightlifting USA, Phil Andrews. Phil, how are you doing? Not too bad. Yourselves? Doing quite well, doing quite well. Now, Phil, if I'm not mistaken, With the Tokyo Olympics just around the corner, the USA is going to be sending its largest contingent to the Games. Is that correct? Yep. We're one of only two countries to uh, qualify a full team or the maximum allowed uh, to the Tokyo Olympics. The other is China. That's the first time we've sent eight athletes to the Games since 1996, when, of course, we hosted in Atlanta. Fantastic. What would you say were some of the elements that that allowed you to get to that? It's a number of ways that we've arrived here. The, the first is the sort of global approach, uh, which is now more related to individual qualification, meaning that you go to, and I'm going to remove COVID-19 just for a moment. You go to six events across uh, the qualification period, four of those scores count. We did really well in that process because our athletes are somewhat used to competing regularly already. And because... You know, quite frankly, one of the reasons why that process exists is in order to expose athletes to anti-doping measures. Our athletes are used to being exposed to anti-doping measures and therefore could compete much more readily. I think the second piece is more domestic, that we've expanded massively as a federation. We're uh, over double the size we were uh, in, in 2012, for example, uh, that financially and three times the membership. Uh, thanks in no small part to CrossFit, but of course, some of the actions of the Federation itself as well. Uh, a big part of that as well was decentralizing our training. The traditional way to train in the sport of weightlifting is by having a centralized training center in one city. And we historically had that in Colorado Springs. Uh, when we closed that, we made a decision to not build a new one. Uh, we 
pushed out our resources financially and logistically into the field. So it means you can train with the coach of your choice with that one-on-one attention to you where you are. And the, the, the philosophy behind that is there's not one single coach who can coach 17 people as well as they can coach one or two. And that's really made a big difference too. So th- those are a few high-level items. There's a lot of detail behind that, things like recruitment programs, things like the way that we support our coaches and athletes in the field, things like the way we've included high-performance elements like data, recovery, um, biomechanics tracking, and so forth. Uh, we had a probably arguably a better strategy than the rest of the world. But we've gone from ultimately 24th in the world in qualification for women to being arguably either the second or third best team in the world, likely will be second in the medal count in Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Uh, with an honorary mention to DPR Korea, North Korea, who are absent from these games, but would arguably be the second in the medal count behind China should they have been there. Nice. Kobe? Yeah, how has the digital age really changed weightlifting? You mentioned the actual statistical data tracking and that sort of thing. What has it done in terms of advancing the athletes? Well, it's just great. There's so many different ways where technology plays a part for us now. Right from things like Zoom, really, really simple tools like Zoom where we can be with us in Colorado Springs our two primary coaches and performance directors in Chicago can reach athletes, not just in the U.S., but even all over the world via Zoom, via FaceTime, via uh, Google Drive by uploading videos and things like that. So you don't necessarily have to be in the gym with an athlete in order to impact that athlete. That's the first and probably most important aspect. Second aspect is the quality of availability of items for weightlifting. Almost every time at a competition, I speak to an older member of our community and they say, look, you know, I had to rely on Strength and Health magazine coming out to understand something about weightlifting. And I had to really seek that out. Now, if I'm interested in the sport of weightlifting, I can just go right onto YouTube and teach myself weightlifting right in my own garage. And that's a huge advantage. You know, so YouTube, Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok where we can upload a shot of a snatch in under 10 seconds. It's a really easy, digestible piece of content for those social media video-based platforms. That's really helped us with spreading the sport, spreading the knowledge of the snatch and the clean and jerk across the country um, via technology. More onto the high-performance side, it has allowed us to dive into data and really understand the probabilities of people making a lift or missing a lift to understand the data patterns that sit behind a doping athlete to understand the uh, likelihood of projected uh, body weights and projected uh, totals of an athlete in the both ours and in the opposition Um, we can understand better uh, in the biomechanics side the velocity on a bar the bar path of a bar Um, In sleep, sleep science has come a long way, so we can measure the sleep of athletes, the readiness of athletes based upon, you know, the athlete monitoring hardware and software that's out there today that just wasn't available 8, 12, 16 years ago. Um, But in a country our size in particular, that ability to be able to be remote 
And I think a lot of people have seen this, of course, in COVID-19 and, and the workplace's responses to COVID-19. It's the same thing. That technology allows us as a national organization to be much more localized in our approach. Yeah, it prevents the the difficulties of distance between key individuals, at least, reaching each other and getting the data transferred quick enough to make adjustments, correct? Correct, exactly. That If you have a phone or an iPad and internet connectivity, you can practically be anywhere, especially in a sport like this, which doesn't require a team and doesn't require even necessarily a present opposition. And you mentioned that the USA have gone from 24th in women's weightlifting to arguably second or third in the world. What do you think has been the largest contributing factor to increasing the interest in women in weightlifting in America? I think CrossFit has a lot to do with it. CrossFit really came along and made it socially acceptable for a woman to have a barbell in their hands. I think that's been a massive contributing factor. I think there's been others too. We've very much pushed our women. We've strategically worked on our policies and procedures to ensure better opportunities and options for women. Uh, but also some of our women are a huge influence in that. I think particularly Maddie Rogers. That when, you, uh, when you have you know, a Maddie Rogers who is a phenomenal weightlifter but also a really engaging human being as a person who goes out there and speaks to every single time they make a post about our sport, 600 plus thousand people that's great yeah so that really helps us grow the sport when you have an athlete like maddie and others kate and i now has over a hundred thousand followers there's others not in the olympic team such as uh Kristen pope who are in you know strong numbers six figures or higher uh, of followers doing the sport and the same thing occurs for the women of crossfit who are doing the snatch and the clean and jerk and ultimately that's spreading weightlifting so a lot of that exposure of, you know, if you can see it, you can be it, I think really helps. And how recent is this growth? How many, like what ranking did the USA have in 2016? That's what I'm saying. So we came into that, out of that quad 24th in the world. Before wow. So it's five years. Yeah. We're really talking one quad. It's one of the quickest turnarounds in Olympic history. Um, and the men have increased too in their performance. Uh, we go into this Olympic Games with arguably our best shot since 1984 to have an Olympic medal, uh, courtesy of CJ Cummings. Now, CJ has been a phenomenal sport for many, many years, a decade. He grew up really doing the sport. He had his first competition aged 11. Uh, we did not do a tremendous amount to bring CJ into the sport. Of course, we have supported him financially and logistically for many years. He's uh, been one of the top earning uh, Olympic sport athletes in the country based upon our stipend system. But he was not brought into the sport by, if you like, the current administration. We were very, very lucky with CJ. They happened to be in the same high school as a coach named Ray Jones. Um, and Ray recruited, first of all, his sister, Crystal, uh, and then uh, him and his brother, Omar, into the sport. And CJ has a really great chance in about two and a half weeks from when we're speaking today to become first medalist since 1984. He's already made history outside the Olympic Games, winning more junior world championships than any other person in history. Oh, okay, cool. Now, Phil, this isn't the first time that you've helped to grow what some might call a fringe sport. 
You also have extensive experience in the UK with ice hockey developing the sport over there. So my question is this, what are the keys to growth and development when it comes to not just growing a sport as you have in, in your role as an administrator, but just, I guess, growing an organization in general? It's, it's inch by inch. Uh, the, the British cycling philosophy of incremental games is really key. Uh, to what we've done uh, and really key to, to really what Harky did too. Um, it means looking at everything you do and improving it little by little. Some of those changes will be much more impactful than others. Uh, yeah, we talked about the growth of women, making sure you can see women as a front and center piece of what you do is really important in that, for example. Tackling the small problems will lead to a cumulative gain. Uh, you know, in hockey, getting people physically seeing ice hockey and the speed of which people escape in hockey, the hard hits in person, the atmosphere in the rink was really important. That's not so important in weightlifting. For weightlifting, you want to get people's hands around a barbell. You want to get them squatting under a barbell and get the bug bitten to them. So you know, it's coming up strategies of how to approach that. And it really comes down to a lot of grassroots work of, of ground and pound work. And, and banging on doors until the door knocks itself down uh, is a lot of the time what you have to do in in a, in a minority sport like ice hockey in the UK or weightlifting in the United States. Of don't take no for an answer. Get after it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, I mean, it's, it's it's just as simple as that. It's hard work. It's passion, and it's figuring out what little things need improving. To, to accumulate in, in big things. Things like at weightlifting, you know, we really approached our governance. There's a, a study out of Belgium called SPLIS, which really looked at high-performance organizations and the 90 different things that underpinned those. And underneath all of that sat something named governance. So one of the first things we did when I took over as CEO was looked at our governance, and we've just done that again. That doesn't sound like it has a tremendous amount of link to... You know, how are we going to do at the Olympic Games? But it's surprising how much it does underpin everything. Without good governance in your organization, you can't move forward operationally. You can't have the freedom to go and bang on those doors. So those small, what seems like innocuous things really make a big difference in, in growing a small, uh, a small sport or a minority sport organization. And uh, thank you. You have clearly done your research if you figured out Coventry Blaze and Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at pro.sports.podcasters for the most current sports news. Now back to the show. Now, just in terms of just staying with governance for a moment, you also had a hat on with the International Weightlifting Federation. And there have been some rumblings. It's not uh, a big rumor, but there have been some rumblings that weightlifting may disappear from the Olympics in the future. So how important is reform and anti-doping to maintaining weightlifting's presence in the Summer Olympics? It's vital. It's it, just as simple as that. Um, we're sitting here, uh, July 12th, this is being recorded. I'm not quite sure when we'll go out. But as we sit here, we don't have a constitution. We have a stalemate constitutional Congress, which was not good for anybody. We have to show reform. We have to show the IOC that we are willing to accept new leadership and new rules, particularly in the area of anti-doping, but not just in the area of anti-doping. 
uh, we have improved, I think, the clean platform for athletes worldwide. Uh, the Clean Sport Commission back in 2017 was chaired by an American from Colorado Springs named Richard Young, uh, who I just happened to be on the phone to uh, a moment ago, actually, before this podcast recording. And uh, that recommended a number of things, including the outsourcing of the doping control program to a third party, which occurred originally with the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sport and latterly with the International Testing Agency. And that has been very successful. There is things that have moved forward in the IWF. Unfortunately, they're woefully overshadowed by poor decisions by the current regime and decisions based primarily in self-interest and retaining control and power versus putting the sport first and retaining our spot in the Olympic Games. We've already been, you know, frankly slapped down by the IOC by the removal of a very significant amount of quotas between uh, not only uh, Tokyo and Paris, but by Rio and Paris. We'll have essentially half, almost, the competitors in Paris that we did in Rio. That's not good for weightlifting. That is not good for the athletes. And it's primarily down to the decisions being taken by the executive board members of the IWF. It's not only down to that, because I do want to emphasize that the IOC has an issue with the game size, that they have to reduce that size in concert with bringing in these new sports. So it's not, it's not entirely accurate to say we wouldn't have been cut purely on the basis of just being an historic sport with a large amount of quotas. But we did get a maximal reduction because of the actions of the IWF. So we have to reform. We have to put in strong anti-doping rules, stronger even than we have today. And frankly, we have to remove bad actors from our sport who have the interests of themselves first and the sport second. And it's difficult to recognize that in each and every person that's around that table because they all on the face of it look passionate and sound passionate about weightlifting and you have to look at who is willing to do the right thing here who is willing to do you know essentially as the ioc says because yes is the iwf an independent organization uh-huh but the problem is let's look at where the funding comes from the majority of funding for the iwf comes from the Olympic Games, which comes from the IOC. So that's point one. Funding is an issue. Point two. The other issue at hand is the Olympic program place. The Olympics is a party run by the IOC. So you have to please the IOC to go to that party. Because otherwise, the host of that party, when you fail to take your shoes off at that party, will ask you to leave that party. And that's what's been happening right now is we've had our shoes on the house at the IOC's party. The IOC said, look, you're still wearing your shoes. Would you mind taking them off? And we've gone, oh, we're good. Thank you very much. And then they've said, look, you're still wearing your shoes. Would you mind? And we've produced an entirely different pair of shoes, put them next to the door. We're still wearing the shoes. We're at the point now where the IOC's going, look, you're still wearing the shoes. You've produced another pair of shoes over there to try and show us that you had shoes off. You don't. You still have shoes on. You now need to, to leave. You've got one last one. That's where we're at. And if we don't take our shoes off and comply with that, we are going to be asked to leave that party. Right. That's, um, that's a sobering assessment of things. 
Yeah, staying on that line, I mean, following the release of the McLaren report, a number of whistleblowers and everything else that goes along with that, as well as a few high-profile people getting booked to different sports, is that really what's shined a light on weightlifting itself? Because in that particular sport, the athletes are such physical specimens that it's just a, it's natural for the average person to assume, oh, there's got to be doping there. Well, I don't necessarily think so. I think we have a long-standing doping problem in weightlifting that's legitimate. I think the average Olympic fan doesn't necessarily know a horrible amount about doping. I, I'm careful to make sure I maintain some friends who are outside of sport and outside the Olympic movement, and, and they, they often ask questions about doping and about one or two other issues in sport, but they don't really have a strong understanding of who's doping or who's likely to be doping. Uh, when you're in the forest, you understand that. When you're outside of the forest, all you see is a bunch of trees, and you're not quite sure which trees have been doping or which ones haven't. So I'm not sure the average person sees that. But you know, what happened in weightlifting is uh, a German company named ARD, which is a bit like the BBC or PBS, basically the state television station for Germany. Yeah. There's an expose on weightlifting. Um, and that aired January the 5th of last year. And that led to, I'm cutting out some steps in between here, the McLaren report, which basically confirmed a lot of the findings of the RRD documentary. Not all, but most. Um, and that McLaren report led to the resignation of Dr. Tamashayan, who'd been in charge of the IWF for over 40 years. That's then left the power vacuum. A lot of people have tried to step into, which is causing a lot of the issues within the IWF right now. So there is a lack of consistency in the IWF. There's a lack of agreement in the IWF. There's a lot of people trying to hang on to their historic positions of power in the IWF. Uh, but overall, we have a lot in common with the IEBA, which is boxing. Okay. You know, both boxing and weightlifting really have a governance and leadership problem as opposed to a sport problem. In weightlifting, we do have a lot of doping. It is an historic, massive problem, continues to be an issue today. That issue relates a lot to the culture of national federations, which have said, look, you know, well, it's a bit like Tour de France upon its day. In order to be successful, you have to involve yourself in doping, with a few exceptions. And you know, our athletes have climbed up. And one of the things we said a few years ago was, look, these are the doping numbers. We know they're doping, but we can't give up. We've got to go for those numbers. And what's happened is our athletes have gone after those numbers as clean athletes, uh, or at least clean to the extent where we believe that we've done everything in our power to make sure they're clean, uh, including you know, the testing program of USADA with okay. significant education. But of course, you can. Well, the reason I say it like that is you can never absolutely guarantee it. You don't know what an athlete does when you're not looking, but I do firmly believe that our world championship team and Olympic team are clean athletes. But in a lot of the world, the encouragement is there from the National Federation to engage in doping, which means that some of the problem comes within our sport and it becomes a sport problem, not just the governance problem, which is the slight difference between us and IEBA, where the issue is coming in referee manipulation. And that's really coming from administrators exclusively. So yes and no, in answer to your question, I, I, I don't know there's a massive public perception around the doping because I just don't think enough people look at that. 
But okay. certainly there's been massive issues in the sport, and it's entirely correct to say there's a doping problem in weightlifting. So you had mentioned that USA weightlifting is really improved in that, in that it's very much on the anti-doping side of things. And you just mentioned it's USADA that is really behind the control of that. You're saying that other countries, other nations don't really have a USADA equivalent. So the way that works is there's most people listening to this level of podcast are probably quite interested in the way sport works. So the way that anti-doping works is you have the World Anti-Doping Agency, which a lot of people could think does all the international testing. They don't. They are effectively a certification body. What they really do is they write the rules for the world. Below that, you'll have something called a NADO, a National Anti-Doping Organization, or a RADO, a Regional Anti-Doping Organization. I could make a decent argument that USADA are, if not the most reputable, certainly one of the most reputable in the world, together with CCES in Canada, UKAD, uh, Anti-Doping Germany, um, JADA, which is Japan, and so on, Sport Integrity Australia. And there's quite a number in the world. Uh, Anti-doping Denmark, I give a very good mention too. The USADA runs the program here in the US on an exclusive basis for the US Olympic and Paralympic movement. They also separately run the UFC anti-doping program. Yeah. USADA and us uh, are relatively aggressive with our membership. We were the first national governing body in the US to require every single person to be trained on anti-doping. Uh, I believe two others now do that. Uh, and again, you know, we talked about earlier about technology. There's another way technology is improved that we can design a process with technology that allows people to be trained. We then took that to the IF level. It was us, the USA Weightlifting, who brought the proposal forward and the logistics forward to train and require training of every single athlete and coach before they participate in international competition. What that does is take away the ignorance excuse from an athlete from a national federation or indeed here domestically in the United States. We do have more tests here in the US than any other nation on earth in the sport of weightlifting. However, we're also much larger than most national federations in terms of the amount of people competing here. So it's not quite an apples for apples comparison. Every country will have Rado or Renato that covers that area and the ability for the IWF to test their international athletes in that country through the ITA. And I know I've just given alphabet soup different organizations, uh, but that's essentially how that works. We are a clean country. We compete clean. We desire to put out clean athletes onto the field of play. We want to compete against the entire world on the same basis. That doesn't mean we just want to compete against Western countries. You know, the, the obvious historic doping example is Russia. Russia were found to have had an institutionalized doping program in the other McLaren report that's famous around doping. And uh, you know, quite frankly, we want to compete against Russia, Kazakhstan, Armenia, Albania, Belarus, these countries which have a history of, of 20 or more doping positives since 2008. We absolutely want to compete against them, but we want to do it on a fair and level playing field. Now, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but are there any of the refugee status athletes in weightlifting at this Olympics? There is. There's one uh, refugee weightlifter based in England, and uh, they'll be competing, I believe, in the 96 kilo category, but you're testing my memory on that. So would they fall under the UK anti-doping group or no? I have to be honest, I'm not horribly familiar with how refugee anti-doping testing is, but they would 
like they would certainly fall under at this point into the Olympic Games under the IWF's international testing pool, which means they would fall under the international testing agency, the ITA. What the ITA would do is assign a mission request. They would likely contract with uh, UKAD because he lives in the United Kingdom. Okay, okay. And they would conduct the testing on behalf of the ITA? Yes. So what would happen in a hypothetical scenario is they would select him for testing, and then they would say, okay, we need to test this gentleman uh, for uh, pre-games testing um, because he's part of the international testing protocol. Uh, as a result, we're, we are going to contract with a collection sample collection agency in this case. So that usually will be the national anti-doping organization of that country. Not always. It can be somebody else. And you would go in to uh, that, uh, you go into UKAD and give them a mission order. That would, uh, would contract them to go and uh, collect the samples. So essentially collect the pee or the blood from the athlete. That would then go to a lab, a water accredited lab, which is a separate business, most logically Cologne in Germany, in the, in the case of a, a sample collected in Great Britain. That result would then be produced to the International Testing Agency on behalf of the International Weightlifting Federation. If anybody's fallen asleep during the last sentence, I paragraph, <laughs> then I understand that. I no, no, no. no, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, oh, it's interesting. It's so I was wondering how <laughs> the refugee status would affect situations like that. But I, I got to bow out. It was nice talking with you, Phil. I'm going to leave you the need to carry on the rest of the, the interview, but I got someone I got to meet at the rain train station. So <laughs> good talking. All right. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Kobe. Now, Phil, the... Team USA is going to be training in Honolulu in the lead up to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. With this camp, is this, I know it's largely been brought on because of the the protocols with COVID and trying to get everyone together, but still uh, create a bubble environment. Is this something that you you might consider in the future though, for future Olympic games? So yes, is the short answer. I'm not sure that obviously Honolulu will be our, uh, expected destination. If you had told me that we would use a base camp in a different country to the Olympic Games three years ago, I would have thought you were absolutely crazy. But here's where we are, and I actually think it's our best option given all the restriction in, in Tokyo. We had already planned something called Tokyo Stronghouse, which is why the uh, training facility in Honolulu is called Tokyo Strong Hawaii. The Tokyo Strong Plan was to be able to have an environment in Tokyo itself where we could have personal coaches, where we could have our performance support team, uh, and where we could have friends and family be able to access the athletes uh, and basically give them a um, world-class way to prepare for competition at the Olympic Games. We will certainly plan to do a similar operation in Paris. We talked already earlier in this podcast about the issues in the IWF, so let's assume we have a Paris if we do have a Paris, we are planning already to have a similar operation in Paris itself. Uh, there's no reason why we would, uh, you know, camp somewhere, say like London, and then train in or, or fly into Paris uh, when we have the ability to be in Paris itself. So yes, we were already planning to do a similar operation in Tokyo itself. That operation has really been moved to Honolulu with. A lot of the issues being down to COVID-19. Our setup is rather unique. We are going into country for only a few days. 
and coming back to Honolulu, our Olympic Games are effectively based out of Honolulu, Hawaii, right here in the United States. Fantastic. Now, just uh, just looking a little bit beyond the next couple of weeks, we also had the Paralympics in Tokyo. How's the preparation going for Team USA on that side of things? So we don't actually look after the Paralympic program for Paralympic powerlifting. There's a, there's a separate group called USA Power Powerlifting run out of Logan University. We have a close link with them. Uh, and in fact, the uh, CEO or executive director of their program is also uh, the doctor for our team for the Olympic Games. Nice. So I will see her tomorrow. My understanding is it's going reasonably well. Uh, that program has certainly been on the rise, uh, not to the same trajectory as us, but has been on the rise since Logan got involved a couple of years ago. I don't think we're expecting any medals in the Paralympic Games in Paralympic powerlifting, but we are expecting a stronger showing, and um, we have more qualified, I believe, than we have had previously. We, USA Weightlifting, do have an adaptive program, but that is not yet uh, at the level where it's an Olympic sport. Only us and Ireland have it so far. And, of course, we are good friends with our friends at the, both USA Power Powerlifting and, and World Power Powerlifting. Nice one. Well, Phil, yeah, it sounds like you'd, you've done a heck of a job literally you, doing the lifting uh, at USA Weightlifting to get it to get the program to where it is, both on the women's and the men's side. We, we love to see the, the women's side of sports rise as well. So it's, it's great to see. I'm looking forward to seeing a big medal haul for Team USA at the Olympics. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our, our listeners? No, I think keep watching the games. You know, I encourage you to tune in and watch weightlifting. Uh, it's going to be a much different medal table to what it has been in the past. The U.S. for the very first time in in sixty years will be a force this time, and and I kind of want to just pay tribute to everybody who's been involved in that. It, you know, okay, I have the privilege of leading this community, but it has been a true community project for the entire weightlifting community to to prove it can be done, to prove that we can turn the business side around, to prove that we can grow the sport, to prove that we can, in the face of everybody telling us we couldn't win medals on the Olympic, World, and Pan-American stages. Yeah, and like you said before, if you can see it, you can be it. So I guess that's one way to inspire the next generation of weightlifters too. That's true. We're hoping that'll be the case. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, the episode will be coming out in the next one or two weeks, so we appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. Enjoy the Olympics. Well, I'm sure we'll touch base. Will do. Look forward to seeing a big medal haul. I hope so. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Take care.